0: I need to encourage you, and, and I, need to, I need to help you understand something tonight. We're going to pull back the curtain. We're going to talk tonight about living with confidence. And uh, your Heavenly Father doesn't want you being intimidated and beat up and dragged around. He wants you to be confident in what you're doing, and He wants you to be a confident person. And we're going to look at that tonight. I see a problem coming across the land. I want to show it to you in Scripture. Uh, let's, let's read. There are two verses that we want to look at tonight that deal with this issue. And of course, this dealt with this particular situation. But remember, the Bible is God speaking to us today. And whenever he's got to say, don't you read with me two verses, 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7 say this, therefore, I remind you, stir up the gift of God, which is in you. Stir it up through the laying on of my hands, because the Father has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind of course, this is written to a young preacher, but this is God speaking to you. And this is what he said. You need to stir up the gift that is in you. If you're born again, there's a gift inside of you. Of course, the gift is the Holy Spirit of God. And he said, uh, it's sort of like he opens the curtain. He said, look, God didn't give you this mousy spirit. God didn't give you this fearful, intimidated spirit. God gave you a different spirit than that. Let me, let me tell you what's going on here. This is a young man. His name's Timothy. And he pastored. Uh, he had a great responsibility. He Pastored one of the largest churches in the world. He was just a young man. We know he's young because later on he said, don't let anybody look down on you because you're so young. So he's a very young guy. And he, he was, had a very difficult job. There was 27 churches in the New Testament. Three of them were what you'd call mega churches. He pastored one of them. And it was, uh, he was a wonderful. This is one of the greatest people in the Bible, Timothy a wonderful young man. I want you to listen to what Paul said about him in the book of Philippians. He said, uh, Paul was the bishop. He was the head over all these churches. He'd started most of them. And he said, I'm sending Timothy to you over to Philippi to help you. Listen to what he said about him. I have no one like-minded like me who sincerely cares about your condition. At the end of his life, he only had one pastor that really cared about people the way he did. And it was this young man. He said, I'm gonna send him around some to help y'all. So he was a fine young man. There was nothing, he was not wicked. He was a great guy, but he had a problem. And this was a very difficult day he was living in, much like our day for two reasons. Number one, this was a day of the craziest ideas. Does anybody know of any crazy ideas in our land today? I just wanted to let you know, it is official, we have lost our minds in this land. I don't know if you knew that or not. Actually, it's been taken away from us according to Romans 1. But it was just a day of crazy ideas, and it was a day where it's very difficult to be a believer, because Christianity was very unpopular, and there was a lot of persecution from the government and other religions, and it was tough being a believer then. So he's got the task of pastoring this huge church, just a young guy, in a very difficult day, and he's suffering from what the Bible calls a spirit of fear. And it was so difficult on him, it's affecting him physically. Because in another place, he said, no longer drink water only. Use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So the pressure and the things he was going through had uh, maybe had an ulcer, but it was bothering him physically. This guy's having a tough time. And uh, so he gets help. And this was a a time much like our day where if you're going to follow Jesus, you need courage and you need confidence. And this guy was not, he didn't have it at the time. So his, his dear beloved brother uh, is actually his uncle in the faith, father in the faith, he called him. He sends him help from the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to help you with this problem. And listen, this is, the father's going to help you with it too. Because I see the same thing happening in our land today. And uh, I want you to notice what he said. He said, the problem is not that you're a mild-mannered man. The problem is not that, you're, that you have this meek personality. He said, the problem is a spirit there's a spirit doing this to you. He said, God didn't give you this. What? What does it say in verse six? He said, stir up the gift. Verse seven, God didn't give you what? A spirit of fear. So we see here that this thing that's on him is a demonic presence. And this thing's racking his life and hurting him and it's crippling him. Is what it's doing? And he said, the father didn't give you this, this thing. Now, You may have looked at him and said, well, this is just a mild-mannered guy and life's rough on him. Now, that's not the issue. This was a demonic presence on... Listen, he wasn't a wicked guy. He, was a, he loved Jesus passionately and he was a great young man. Evil spirits can affect great Christians. We have got to start taking Ephesians 6 seriously that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers of God. And here's a fine young man, one of the finest men in the Bible. But this demon spirit, I don't know how you say this, Had attached itself to him, was on him, was harassing him, but there was a dark evil presence that got on this young man, and he didn't recognize it. So Paul writes, "I'll tell you what the problem is. There's a spirit of fear that has come to you, and this thing is racking you, and is causing you to suffer like this." And he says to him, "God didn't give you this. This is not from God. So it's not. It's not. that's not holy at all. But I want you to understand something here. It is a spirit of fear. Now." He said, that's bad how that stuff happened back then. Let me make an announcement. Pharisees die. The spirit of the Pharisee never dies. Amen. Demon spirits never die. They're in the earth today. They're doing this. I see this on preacher friends of mine. I see this on believers. Now, uh, let me help you with something here. I don't know that fear is the best word here. He said, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He calls it a spirit of fear. Well, all through the Bible, anytime the word fear is used, it's the Greek word phobia. We get our, you know, claustrophobia, hydrophobia. That means the fear of something. And it's the word phobia. But this is not the word phobia. This is the word delios, which is a little different. It's not like the fear of a rattlesnake or the fear of a storm. This would be, uh, many versions, it's translated cowardice. It's actually best translated timidity or a person who is intimidated. A person who's just intimidated by people. And they're nervous around people and they're scared of things. This, it's a horrible spirit, but it bothers believers. And this young man was suffering from the spirit of timidity, uh, can be translated as spirit of insecurity, but it's paralyzing and it, it just cripples people. And this young man's got it, it's, it's harassing him. And so the Lord's trying to help him, and the Father's gonna help him. Now, let me say again, it is not his personality. You, you look at a person like that and think, well, they're just gentle. I don't know whether he's gentle or not, but this thing had crippled him. <clears throat> this thing doesn't get on just mild-mannered people. This thing will get on some of the boldest, most confident, cocky people and reduce them to pudding. Remember a guy named Simon Peter? Would you, would you classify him as mousy? He'd cut you. He, he was cocky. He was snotty. I mean, he was very in the natural. His personality was very strong and arrogant. And, buddy, he he just he was, he was, uh, he was type A, double A, maybe triple A. And do you remember how when Jesus said at the Last Supper, he said, all of you are going to leave me and betray me. Who spoke up? Simon spoke up and said, I'm not surprised at them. I'll be here at the end, buddy. You can count on me. I ain't going to no, know. I'll die with you. That's just his personality. He just had this... He was, you know, sort of like Rambo pre. And he, you say, well, he was lying. He wasn't lying. He meant it. So, listen, he loved Jesus passionately. He was going to die for him. He, and who was it in the garden when they came to get Jesus? Who pulled out his pocket knife and stabbed, actually a short sword, and stabbed Malchus who cut his, cut his ear off. He missed his neck, cut his ear off. Simon was just rough. Jesus is arrested they follow him into the courtyard. Simon's in the courtyard and there was a demonic presence all around that place because they knew what was going on. This is the son of God and this demonic presence. And a little girl looks at Simon and says, I I think you were with him. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. What was that? Another one says, no, no, I saw you with him. He said, I've never met this man. What happened to all your confidence? And then a little girl said to him, you got that accent they got. You one of them. He flew into a cuss and fit said, I've never met that man in my life. What happened to him? That spirit of intimidation and fear got on him. So this is not just mild mannered people. I'm one of the cockiest, snottiest, big mouthest preacher friends I ever had. <laughs> I, I, he just, he was just arrogant, but we were buddies. And, uh, I remember I went to his church to preach one time and this woman, this this old woman, excuse me, this elderly sister, dear lady, (laughs) she came up, she sort of got on him a little bit and he was about 6'5", about as wide as he was tall and he was just redneck and she got on him a little bit and I thought, she's fixing to catch it and I looked over and his hands were shaking and he just said, yes ma'am and I thought, that little gray haired woman just jerked you down by the nose? This is a spirit of intimidation, a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear that gets on people. And not your personality, but it's, it's very powerful. Now, I want you to notice in this passage, let's look in this. In this passage in the Bible, God reveals the nature of two spirits, the evil spirit and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to look at the nature of the evil spirit. When the evil spirit is on a person or yeah, I don't care, I, believers cannot be demon possessed because all the spirits inside of you. But let me ask you a question. What's the difference if he's on your shoulder sitting across the room pointing a rifle at you? He got you. They can be oppressed. They can be, I don't know what the word. I just know they can booger you up. How about booger you up? There's a good theological term. They can influence you. And um, the Bible teaches that when an unholy demonic spirit like this comes to a person, it leaves them intimidated, no confidence, fearful, worried, scared, spitless, That's the effect of a demonic spirit. I flip the gears. Look in verse seven. When the Holy Spirit of God is ministering strongly to you, what's the effect? Three words. Power, love, and a sound mind. Now, those those three words, power is the word dunamis. It's used numerous times. But don't think like electricity. It's better translated boldness. Boldness. And that boldness, the Holy Spirit boldness comes upon people when the Holy Spirit's there. The same word used in Acts chapter one when Jesus told his disciples, "Don't I'll, I'm going to send you into the world, but don't go yet. Stay right here until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be a dude with the same word power, dunamis from on high, boldness, and you'll be able to talk freely about Me to anybody." And these people were they were they were hiding because they were being persecuted. You know, Jesus just been killed. This was a terrible time and they're hiding. And Jesus said, don't go out yet. I'm fixing to send you something. And when he comes, you'll hit the ground running and you won't be scared of anybody. So there's the word boldness and the word love is the word agape, which is compassion. And most of the time, people that are bold don't have compassion. Well, the Holy Spirit puts both of them in there and you'll have a tender heart. You can be bold as a, as a lion and have a heart as tender as Jesus. And there they are, you bold, and of course the word sound mind means confidence. That's what it looks like when the Holy Spirit has listen, God wants his people to be bold and tender-hearted and confident. That's how he wants you to live. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit to help you. Satan paralyzes believers by putting this spirit on them, and it leaves them intimidated and fearful and nervous and worried. Can you see the difference? This is where he reveals the two different spirits and the nature of these two spirits. Uh, But the bottom line is our heavenly father wants us to live with compassionate confidence and with the tender heart of Christ, with the boldness of, why was Jesus, Jesus was not called the worm of the tribe of Judah. He was called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus that gives us that confidence that Jesus had also. And uh, let me tell you, Satan just absolutely robs believers of their spirit. He paralyzes them and they lose confidence in God and they begin to question and doubt, they begin to waver and wonder, they lose confidence in God's word, they lose confidence in themselves. I've known so many people that were just able, they could have done it. They had the natural giftedness, they had God on their side, but they just didn't think they could do anything. Where'd that come from? That's that spirit of intimidation that intimidates people down and says, Don't try anything. You're not able. You can't do this. That's that's from hell. That's not from heaven. And it just robs God's people, and we miss opportunities because of it. And people live their lives worried and fretful and nervous about the future. That is not from heaven, that's from hell. And so, this great passage identifies the effects that two spirits have on believers and how you can know who's aggravating you or ministering to you. Listen, this, is, this spirit is very active today. It is, it, this thing has hit our earth, it's hit our nation today. And uh, let's sadly, I want to say this sadly this intimidating evil spirit offers, operates, I think, the strongest in churches. It works in churches. How many Christians do I know that they're scared they're going to make a mistake? They're scared that God might not be pleased. That's not from heaven. Let me show you how powerful this spirit is. Turn with me to John chapter 9. I mean, this thing is just robbing believers. John chapter 9 is a great picture and uh, religious people use this spirit. Churches use it to keep you under their control. Preachers use it to keep you under wraps. And I, I can discern this thing in a heart. I know the difference between Holy Spirit boldness and an unholy spirit of intimidation. And actually the spirit of intimidation is the spirit of witchcraft that controls people and manipulates. But listen, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's is freedom. Amen. If it's not freedom, it ain't Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is freedom. But I want you to look at this. This is John chapter 9 is a situation. Do you remember the man that was blind? 30 some years, Jesus put mud in his eye and healed him. And uh, I, th- I think that's cool. I was going to make an announcement. It's cool when Jesus does something. Somebody's been blind that long. All right. And the Bible said they took him to the ministerial association. Why? Why do you have to go to some dumb preacher about everything qu- God does? Let the preachers go fishing. Leave them alone. So they take him to the ministers to ask them what they think about what Jesus did. They didn't like it. They're mad because of what Jesus is doing. They're still mad because of what Jesus is doing in the earth. And uh, the Bible said that they didn't believe that he was blind. He'd been sitting in front of their church for 37 years begging for money. They didn't believe he was blind. They thought it was a joke, a hoax. So they call his parents and say, get his parents in here. We'll find out if he's blind or not. And uh, watch what happens when they get his parents in there. This is John chapter nine, verse 18. The Jews did not believe concerning him that he'd been blind, received his sight. They called the parents of him who received his sight. They asked him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? So they're they're saying, are you telling me that this really happened? I could not have helped. If I'd have been his parents, I'd have said, yep. For 34 years, I had him sitting right there just to jack you up today. That's the only reason I did this. So surprise! Surprise! My goodness. This is a parallel. This chapter, this story is about blindness, but it's not the man. It's the preachers. Watch what they said. 20, his parents answered him saying, we know this is our son. We know he was born blind, but what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's old enough to ask for himself. What? They knew good and well who opened his eyes. They probably saw it. Let me ask you a question. Your your son who was born blind, and for 34 years you've watched this boy suffer. Now remember in that culture, there are no jobs for blind people. You either work with your hands or you just beg for food. And that's what he'd done all those years. And this man, they didn't even, this rogue itinerant preacher comes up and heals their son. How many of you would be happy if that happened to your son? I'd tell the world what this man did for me. Why did they deny Jesus? what are they so scared of? Read the next verse. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they what? Feared the Jews. The Jews had already agreed. If anybody bragged on Jesus or confessed Jesus, we'd kick him out of our church. The spirit of intimidation was so strong on them, that religious spirit that they denied what Jesus did for them to keep a bunch of church folks happy. Is that crazy or what? I tell them, stick it in your ear. I'd rather for my son to see than sit in your dead church anyway. Amen. I see this all the time where people, they know what God has done for them. They know what he's saying to them. They know how good he is, but they'll sort of hold it back in afraid they might offend somebody. We should not purposely try to offend people, but we should live for an audience of one. All right, let me show you. Let me show you preachers. Turn two, three pages to the right to John chapter 12. You You're talking mind how powerful this spirit is on the land and it's in churches. I got preacher friends that God has done things for. He's shown them things in the Bible and they will not tell people about it because their denomination doesn't like it. Find you another one. Go freestyle like we do. Somebody will have you somewhere. My gosh, have mercy chapter 12, verse 42 says this. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, now rulers doesn't mean government rulers, it means preachers. Among the Jewish rulers, preachers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't tell anybody lest they'd be kicked out of the synagogue because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's a spirit of intimidation. That's a spirit that says, you know, you, you just sort of hide Jesus proudly. Don't let anybody know you follow Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the greatest news that ever hit planet earth or ever will hit planet earth. I'm in hell by now if it isn't for Jesus. If it bothers you that Jesus is good, I'm not going to be ugly and redneck stick it in your ear, but I'm not about to hide what the man's done. But this spirit of intimidation gets on people and it just, I've seen it affect people physically. You know, they sweat, their, their hands get cold, their, their, their stomach's in knots. That is a spirit of intimidation. It's that spirit of fear that gets on people, usually in front of other people. But listen to me, listen to me. It's not because people are ugly or you're mild. It is a spirit. It's an evil spirit that does this to people. And it's just wreaking culture. You ever heard of cancel culture? Spirit of intimidation. Businesses all over America, corporate America, scared spitless that somebody's going to put something on a social platform and and it's going to be over. So, boy, they, when you say jump, they ask how high on the way up. This is revealed in, for instance, Revelation chapter 13 said this. One of these days, there's going to be something called the mark of the beast. And we're moving toward it. Real, personally, I think it's here. I don't think, this is my humble opinion. I'm not intimidated if you don't think I'm right. But I'm just, it's okay for us. Well, we need to agree on several things. Jesus is Lord. The Bible is the Word of God. The rest of it, we're trying to figure out along the way, okay? But the Bible talks in Revelation about a mark of the beast. Many people think it's a literal mark on your hand or your forehead or it's a chip implanted or whatever. I think it's a way of thinking in your mind and a practice in your hand. This is what the Bible said about it. If you don't receive it, they'll cut you off and you can't cooperate in the economy. You can't buy and sell. Tried to do it at Chick-fil-A and their business took off. But this spirit is in the land and Satan always intimidates with persecution and punishment and retribution if you don't bow down and agree with what he says. And this is exactly what happened to this poor guy that's getting beat to death in this church. You see it happening in our land today. And uh, let me tell you one of the best things you can do. Just go ahead and make up your mind. I was going to hell anyway. All I got is Jesus. And you know, if they threatened to kill me, I was wanting to go see him anyway. Yeah. Amen. We, we need to settle some issues. All righty, very active today. But now listen, to me. Back to let me quote back again. Second Timothy, he said, "God didn't give you that. that that's that, that's not from heaven." He said, "God God put a spirit. He's already in you, son, of boldness and confidence and compassion and, and fearlessness. It's in there, but you're going to have to do something. You got to do something. Let's look again at Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. You know what? You know what the answer is for." This thing, it's the Holy Spirit. The answer for an unholy spirit is always the Holy Spirit. The, an, the answer for our ugly carnal nature is not that we try not to do ugly things. The answer for our unholy nature is the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God. And the answer for a demon spirit harassing believers is for the Holy Spirit to show up. All right, let me just see if y'all know the Bible. Who's, who's tougher? That's not a good word. Who's more powerful, the unholy spirit or the Holy spirit? Okay, we get, get go to the front of the class, get you start. You did good. All through the Bible, anytime Jesus walked up to the most powerful demon spirits, what'd they start doing? They were scared spitless. Uh, probably the most powerful collected group of demon spirits in the Bible is Mark 5, the Gadarene Demoniac. Our name is Legion. There's thousands of us in this man. And they were trembling in the presence of Jesus, begging him, don't hurt us. Who's in charge here? There was the same spirit that's in Jesus is in you. It's in there. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Know you not, and if you're born again, if you're not born again, it's not in there. But if you're born again, 1 Corinthians 6, know you not that your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God? The same spirit that raised Jesus' dead body out of the grave is inside you right now. It's in here. And what did he say in 2 Timothy 1, 7, or verse 6? He said, stir up the gift of God that is what? He's in you. He's there. But listen to me. What do you see from this verse right here? What do you see from this? The Holy Spirit of God that powered Jesus can be in you and be dormant yeah. and not making any difference at all. He's in there, but you, there's no effect. And he said, he said, this spirit of intimidation and fearfulness that's jerking you around, God didn't give you that. The spirit that God gave you is one of confidence and boldness, but you're gonna to have to do something to, to have him, I don't know, cut loose, break out, take over, whoop, tail, whatever. To have him take over, you've got to do something. But what do you tell him? You gotta stir it up. You've got to release the spirit of God with him. He said, He's in there. You've got to release the spirit of God that is within you, all right? Listen, the Holy Spirit of God makes all the difference in the world in a person's life. I've I've seen the most, and I I do need to say something here. We're not talking about this human natural confidence and cockiness and personality that's just a big, we're not talking about that. I've seen some of the most mild-mannered people do some of the most bold things because God touched them. You got that same spirit in you you got that confidence inside of you. And he wants you to live there. I want you to to the book of Acts and let's see the difference that he makes here. Acts chapter one. I've, I've never understood for the life of me, probably why I'm not Baptist anymore. I've never understood for the life of me why Christians want to live their lives without the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus gave us a gift called the, called the presence. You can call it the presence of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But he gave us this gift to empower us to live. And why we insist on living without him is a mystery to me. I don't know why preachers don't want to use it more often. But uh, most Christianity today that I hear of is, is come on, man, you, you got to, and they, it's a, in your strength, you got to live it. That is not scriptural. Yeah. I can do all things through Christ who fusses at me when I fail. Is that what it says? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're supposed to live this life in the strength of Christ, the strength of his spirit. And he's inside it. how, what, how terrible would it be to have this same gift of God? Jesus had right here and never use him. Struggle through life when you could be flying through life. Uh, all right. Let's look to in book of Acts chapter one. Now Jesus has died. He's resurrected. These are born again. People. These are followers of Jesus. Watch what he said. And uh, verse four, he said, being assembled together with now he's fixing to leave. He commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the father, which you've heard from me. Verse five, John baptized you with water. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days now. It simply means the presence of God's coming to you. Look what he said in verse eight. You shall receive what? Power. And that word again is dunamis, same word he used in first Timothy, second Timothy. You'll receive power, confidence, boldness when the Holy Spirit's come upon me. And then you can talk to people. What do you tell them? Don't try to do anything until my spirit comes, until my spirit comes upon you. You need that spirit. All right. Turn with me to Acts chapter two. So they did what he said. They waited, they prayed, they just hung around and actually they were hiding. Because boy, the government was after believers then and it was dangerous to be a believer. And the Jews were sort of the Jewish religion at the time which hated Christ and nailed him to the cross. They're after believers because they see we got some momentum in the culture right now. So these folks are hiding, afraid of what's going on. So they're, uh, verse two, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Some people say it was a wind. No, it was a sound like a wind as of a rushing mighty, when it filled the house where they were sitting, there appeared to them just flames of fire that came upon each person. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let me clarify something here. People get nervous when you say the word tongues. Uh, there's the prayer language that people use. using my charismatic friends. These were distinct languages. Yeah. As you'll see, and I'm not, I'm not negating either one of them. Both of them are valid. But there were 13 different people. Now, remember, this is Pentecost, so Jerusalem is packed full. This is the feast time. People from all over the known world are there, and, and he mentions 13 different people groups or dialects Medes, Parthians, Leptomnia, uh, all these different people groups are there. You got 13 different languages that he mentions, and the Spirit of God comes upon them, and all of a sudden, they begin to speak these different languages. Speak these languages. Right, wh- what are they saying? What are they saying in these languages? And uh, verse six, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and said, all these folks are from snow camp. They're Galileans. Why are they speaking our language? And then he mentions all the languages. Verse 11, Cretes and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own languages, the wonderful works of God. So the spirit came on them and these people were hiding. All of a sudden they bust out the door into the greatest feast day. I mean, this would be like Mardi Gras, sort like Mardi Gras, give or take without the beads. So they bust out in the middle of Mardi Gras and just start talking about how wonderful God is. And every one of them has the ability by who? By the Holy Spirit to speak to these people in their own language. And this is the, by the way, this same spirit lives inside of you. And uh, so they're all of them going on and. All of a sudden, you remember the guy named Peter who just a few days earlier stood up in front of everybody here and said, I don't know who that man is. Remember him? Was he in the crowd when the Holy Spirit came? Yeah, yeah he was. Look in verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11, raised up his voice and said, men of Judea and all who you're here today, listen to what I got to say. He stood up on, he climbed up on the path and he just said, I want everybody in this town to listen to what I got to say. Said, was there a change in him. He's scared spitless to mention the name of Jesus in front of this little girl. Now he jumps up in front. Everybody says, every one of you better listen to me. And he reels off one of the greatest messages. And he, and he didn't back it off one bit. He said, this Jesus, whom you crucified, he's Lord of all. And he boldly with great confidence, he preached Jesus. Where'd that come from? Apparently the spirit of God that came displaced that timid spirit that was on him. And these folks are just boldly and confident. They're just so confident in their God and but listen to me. These people never had witness training. They never got taught how to witness. They didn't go through CWTE, or all that stuff. The Spirit of God just came on them. The Holy Spirit just showed up and they just, they were so bold and confident in what they were saying. And of course, the tremendous things happened there. Now, all right. So that they've got the Holy Ghost, right? Got the Holy Spirit. And my dispensational friend said, That's it, right there. That, the, the Holy Spirit came in the earth. We don't need to expect it anymore. And You don't need to get in that Holy Ghost stuff. Just read your Bible, pray, and try to be good. I tried that for a while. I'm going to tell you something. I like the power of God a whole lot better than I do the power of Brian. I'm pretty confident naturally, but I like the power of God to help people. He just cuts through the people. So I know. Listen, just a few days later, I want you to watch what happened here because this is a great lesson for me and you. Verse chapter four, this is just a few days later. They just kept, they're just blowing everything apart in their culture. Chapter four, verse one, they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the religious leaders came on them, greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They're mad about these people talking about Jesus. So they laid hands on them, put them in jail. And uh, they brought them out the next day in front of them Verse seven, they set him in the midst. Said, "By what power, what name, have you done this?" So that, see, they got him in front of this council. Now they're going to hold hold court and intimidate him here. Watch what happens in this next verse. Then Peter, what, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, "You rulers, you listen to me." And he cut loose on him again. He just cut down on him, and and uh, I mean, he he busted him. He said, "You you rejected Jesus and yada yada and all that stuff." Look at verse thirteen. When they saw the what. The boldness of Peter and John and perceive these are ignorant, uneducated men. They marveled, realized they'd been with Jesus. They had nothing they can say. Where, where does this common redneck fisherman stand up in front of the smartest people in the world and just blow their doors off? Where's that come from? The Holy Spirit of God. The boldness of God came on him to speak. All right, so they got to stop this stuff. So here, look at the intimidation. Uh, they fussed a little bit verse 17. But so this stuff spreads no further. Let us severely threaten them. There's the intimidation that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Our culture is doing this to believers today. Now, if you want to build a habitat house or you want to feed the hungry, or you want to give some money to help people who are sick, that's fine. But do not preach this book in this nation anymore. You're a bigot. You're narrow minded. You're a hater. And there's a spirit of intimidation against the word of God. Listen, People said, well, we don't mind you being a Christian if you'll just be a nice, mild mannered nobody, nobody would nail Mr. Rogers to the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was nice and mild mannered because he fed people. Jesus went to the cross because he spoke truth. And the truth bothered them. Truth always is always abrasive, but it's got to be truth with compassion. And so they threatened him, said, don't, don't say this anymore. Well, you know, if I were Peter and I wanted to keep my members in my church and wanted to stay in good standing with those in the Moose Lodge and, you know, the Rotary Club and all that, I'd tell fine, we'll compromise. I won't preach quite as loud. We'll just settle it all down. What do you think he told them? Look in the next verse. Verse 19, Peter, not John answered them and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, we're not gonna stop talking about what we've experienced been translated. He said, stick it in your ear. Right. Where's this, where's this boldness and confidence come from? Holy spirit came on. All right. Now they got the government breathing down their throat. They got the churches persecuting them. And these people have the power to put you to death. We're not talking about, you know, can't go in Chick-fil-A anybody that puts you to death. So they get out of that meeting. They go back to their believers, their friends, and they say, we need to pray. We're in trouble." We need to pray about this thing. What do you think they'd pray for? Oh, Lord, get us a good lawyer. What are they, what are they praying for? Lord, send us to somewhere where it's easier. Lord, give us, let us get some bottled water and canned tuna fish and go to Montana and how do you get back? What do you think they pray for? Look what they pray for. Verse 23, being let go, they went their companions, the believers, and reported what the preachers told them. They heard that they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and they start talking about how great God is. Now, here's their request in verse 29. Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Yeah. What they pray? Give us the strength to go back out there and do it again. That's right. Now, I want you to notice that verse. What do he say? Grant to us boldness. They didn't have to work it up. They didn't have to psych each other up and say, come on, we got to do this. They said, God, we want you to send boldness to us. You send the Holy Spirit with confidence and boldness to us. Now read what happened when they prayed. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God with confidence and just kept on rolling. Now we got a theological problem here, don't we? I thought they were filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter two. Were they not filled with the Holy Spirit again in chapter four? All right. I have two problems theological. Let me take a minute and Get, get old preacher with you here. My Baptist friends say, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit, that's it. Boom, don't expect anything else, he's in there. How did they get filled with the Holy Spirit again and again? See, my charismatic friends, on the other hand, I, listen, I love all of them. We're all going to heaven and you, when we get there, you'll see I'm right. We're all going to heaven. That's right. We're all going to heaven and I, I love my friends, but my charismatic say, no, there's a second blessing once you get that, that's it. Why did they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit twice? How many of you know they didn't stop with twice? They'd just been filled a few days before they went back and said, Lord, it's getting hot down here. Don't get us out of here. Get into us. Fill us with your spirit so we can be even bolder than we've been. So he answered their prayer and they went right back out and took off again. What is the answer for intimidation? It's the spirit of God coming on you. It is the boldness of God. It's the confidence and the compassion of God They didn't do this because they were cocky and wanted to prove something. They did this because the love of God was in their hearts for the people. Listen, you you cannot be driven by cockiness. You can't be driven by boldness. Let everything you do be done in compassion. Sometimes I have to talk to people about Jesus and about things, and I know they're not going to like it. It'd be so easy just to say, I already got a big crowd. God bless you. Go watch Charles Stanley or something like that. I don't do it. And I know people who do it just to be confrontational. I do it for one reason. You're going to go to hell when you die if somebody doesn't tell you the truth. The love of God's got to compel us with what we do. And you want to listen. Truth is for one purpose. That's to help people. It's not to prove that you're right. And we've got two ditches today in our land. We've got this cocky snotty who wants to argue and fuss with everybody and fight over truth. You're not doing anybody any good. And then we've got this Mr. Rogers stuff that no matter what you say is fine. We all just should love one another. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Yes. You can't have one or the other. You've got to have compassion and truth. And that's what the Holy Spirit of God brings into people's lives. And they, they were just so confident uh, in what they did there. Hey, listen, we, we need this over and over and over. Again, I want, I'm going to say this. This is, this is divine. This is from the Spirit of God that's inside of you and, and, uh, it's desperately needed. All right. Let's go back to second Timothy and let me, let's look at our part. What do I, what do I need to do? All right. Second Timothy chapter one, he said, this, this Paul loved this young man. He called him his son in the faith. And uh, I think personally, I think he wrote a letter to his uncle, Paul and said, could you transfer me to a country church? I think he asked him, could you get me out of here? Because he writes him back twice, two letters, First and 7 Timothy, and he says, you, I can't, you've got to stay there. The people need help, and you're the one I've got that'll help them. I need you to stay there. There's another one right after this, same situation, a young man named Titus. And we know Titus wrote him and said, I'm going to go drive a truck. I've had all this I can take. You've got to get me a job somewhere else. And Paul fired him a letter back and said, you stay in Crete right there where I put you at. You're not going anywhere. And uh, the answer was not, listen to me, listen to me. The answer is not to make my life easier. The answer is for God to get in me. The answer is not an easier place. It's the power of God to make it good where you're at. All right. Now, this is the father's answer. Uh, Rather than put you in an easier place to work, why don't God get inside of you and just clean house where you work at? That'd be the trick right there. But what is my part? What is, I want you to look with me in verse six. I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. He said, the help is there. You just don't know what to do. Let me tell you what he'd been doing. As a matter of fact, turn one page back and you'll see what he was doing. 1 Timothy 4.14. Here he is saying it to him again. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It's in you through the elders laying on of hands. He said, the Holy Spirit of God's in you. What does neglect mean? You're not paying him attention. You're, You're not using the Holy Spirit that's in you. He said, don't neglect him. I turn back with me, 2 Timothy 1, six. He said, stir up the gift of God. You see the word stir up right there. Uh, we get our English word uh, kindle from it. It means to kindle. It's a term used for fire. Now Katie and I first got married, lived in no farmhouse, had no heat, except a wood stove in the middle of it. And you'd fill the wood stove up at night and shut the door and shut the draft and and you'd go to bed you'd get up the next morning it's cold in the house we'd go in there, there was, it wasn't warm there wasn't a fire there there was over time every fire dies down what does that tell me and you about the Holy Spirit inside of us over time the anointing dies down you don't have to do anything to lose the touch of God time it just dies down I'd get up in the morning, you'd have coals. Well, I'd open that, open the drafts, open the doors and put some smaller wood on there and I'd blow it or I'd set the doors and, it, and it would, that would flame up. And then, you know, you'd get a fire going and you'd put more on it, put lighter on there if you need to. Pretty soon you had a big old flame roared up. I kindled up that fire. Same word right here. I stirred that fire. I got it cooking again, doc. And then I'd holler, mama, it's, it's hot out, it's warm out here. So then she'd jump up there and she'd jump and run out to the wood stove there and try to get warm. He says, I want you to do the same thing with the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. I want you to fire up the gift of God in you. I want you to stir the gift of God up inside of you. The word is kindle up. And I want you to do it inside of you. He's dormant. And uh, believers have got to get back to depending on the Holy Spirit. As as the days get crazier and the junk gets deeper and the need gets greater, we have got to learn to have the Holy Spirit of God help us and give us grace. And when he said, stir up the gift of the spirit, I'm going to give you three things from the Bible that I see that he says to do. They've worked with me all my life. And uh, I, I am, the older I get, the more dependent I get on need God's touch. You need the power of God in your life. He you say, brother, I'm not pastoring a church. I'm not there. You living in America, ain't you? You need the touch of God on your life. You need the confidence and the compassion and the courage that God's spirit gives you. Uh, give you an example. I, I, I went to high school. I was a pagan in high school, but I knew about God. I didn't want anything to do with him, but I knew about him because my mom had taken me to church. some. and, uh, you know how, you know how crazy high school is. It's, it's rough ground for anybody. And we had a girl that went to our high school. She was a cheerleader and we were sort of quasi friends a little bit. She, she was nice to me and I, I thought she was beautiful and we talked some. So we of course I played football. And she was a cheerleader. And, um, but she was a devout believer. She loved Jesus. I mean, she, she wasn't one of these go on Sunday. She loved God passionately and she believed everybody should follow Jesus, but she was a very gentle spirited girl, very mild spirit and very, uh, uh, gracious and kind and loving. You couldn't help but like her, even if you didn't want to hear her preach because you're was going to hear her preach, whether you liked it or not, but it was so gracious. You couldn't be ugly to her. I ain't talking about them guys standing up and say turn or burn. I'm not talking about that stuff there. <laughs> My goodness. Dude, we don't need human cockiness. We need Holy Spirit grace. And she would preach to me. And I, I just tried to be nice about it. And I think one day she tried to preach to me in the mall area where a bunch of us were congregated during lunch. And I think maybe I've been smoking something I shouldn't have been smoking, which puts you in a foul mood anyway. And... uh she said, she's something about you need to follow Jesus, love Jesus. And I said something just, it wasn't real ugly, but it was cutting to her. And uh, you know, even back in my pagan law state, I knew I shouldn't have said that. And I looked back over and tears are running down her face. And she said, be ugly if you want to, but you will never stop Jesus from loving you. And then she was not ugly. You know what that was? That was Holy Spirit, boldness and confidence. You, we need that. That's the gift of God. And uh, of course, she was real thrilled when I got saved. She didn't have to preach no more. So I guess she went and jumped on some other pagan. But dear ones, we have got to depend on the Christianity was not meant to be lived in our ability. We'd eliminate about three-fourths of what we're doing in our churches if the Holy Spirit could come back in and take over. All these helps we got, just to me, it just looks like self-help. All right, three things the Bible teaches about not grieving the Holy Spirit so he can help you. Number one, He said, don't grieve it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, you lose his power. He's still in there, but you lose his power. Who's the classic case of this in the Bible? A guy named Samson. Would you say Samson had supernatural strength? You know, that's not there to teach you how to tear gates down. It's the power of God to do the will of God and help people. And the Bible said, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he did great things. But Samson was so cocky and arrogant and he monkeyed around and he didn't take, now you don't have to be perfect, but you, you, you can't just be an idiot. The, the Holy Spirit is called Holy Spirit. And but you don't have to be perfect, but you can't just put your fist in his face like Samson did. He knew he was living wrong. He knew he was in sin. He was warned. He kept doing it. And finally, when he just wouldn't try to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit said, I've had enough. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible, you know, remember, uh, what was her name? Delilah, is that right? See, yeah, Delilah, girl on the radio. Delilah, (laughs) she found the secret and she whooped him all up there and she said, your enemy's on you. And he said this, the Bible said, I will go out and deliver myself. Listen to this, he did not know the spirit of the Lord had departed from him and they caught him. They blinded him. They handcuffed him. They put him as a grinder and the spirit of God left him because he was just so wicked. And he just wouldn't, you just can't be a belligerent jerk and hateful to people and evil and run around. We're seeing a great rash right now. of Big time, famous preachers fall like flies in America because they had these chicks on the side. They knew better. We're not talking about making a mistake. We're talking about just this I'm so great, not even God can straighten me out. You you can't do that. And you got to just, you just—you got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He is easily, you know, what animals he compared to in the Bible? A dove. He came down like a dove on Jesus. And you know, the symbol of the Holy Spirit's always the dove. What do you know about a dove? They're easily shoot away. you, you, You know, if a dove lands on my shoulder, I can't be jerking around and slapping at him. He'll leave you got to sort of cooperate, walk gently with him. And I'm trying to hit this thing right because so many fundamentalist preachers, you know, if you burp, you're done. It's just over. Well, that's not right either. Listen to me. Listen to me. Knock this mess off. We know when we're offending God. We know when it's wrong. We know when we talk to people in a way we shouldn't. We know when we got junk around us we shouldn't have around us. And you the the thing is when you offend the Holy Spirit, you lose the power and the confidence and the joy and the peace that he brings. And you live your life sheered of power like Samson. Of course, in his great kindness, you know, Samson got tired of being whooped up on for a while. And what did he do? He humbled himself. Remember? They brought him out, they tied him to the post, they're gonna make fun of, because we didn't got our enemy now, and he humbled himself and he said, I was wrong and you're, you're right, and I, I shouldn't have been like that. He said, I ask you to forgive me and, and give me one more chance. And the Bible said the Spirit came on him, and he pulled the whole Parthenon down on him and killed more in his death than he had in his life, which shows you what? There was the Holy Spirit will return, but he's not going to sit around with a bunch of cocky people who got their fist in his face. So number one, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You've got to cooperate with him a little bit. I've I've never seen a day in my life like we're in this land where we just live in blatant, arrogant sin. Contrary to what the Bible teaches. It's even not even they tell preachers, don't even talk about it anymore. You'll lose your people. We're losing the world to hell because we won't talk about truth. Yeah. And we got people just acting like fools today, but you just can't do it. They say, Well, I'm getting away with it. You're losing the touch of God if you do it. And we need the sweetness of God. All right. Number one, number, we can't grieve the Holy Spirit. Number two, remember what we read in Acts chapter four, when did the Holy Spirit come on them? They prayed. They said, look, we, you know, we're, we're facing tough times here. We got to get together and pray. Then when they prayed before God and they cried out to the Lord and they called on the Lord and he did what they asked him to do. What, listen, what did it say in Acts chapter four? They saw the boldness and the confidence of these men and they realized those guys have been with Jesus. I can tell when people have been with Jesus. And they got along with Jesus. They let the word of God speak to their hearts. They spent time with Jesus. And, and there was you, you got to go back to the source. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then out of his spirit will flow rivers of living water, which is the Holy Spirit. Believers in America have got to learn to get along with God and get filled up. I got a coffee cup from Stucky's. This It's my favorite coffee cup. Since able one Stuckey's left in America. It's on a highway in Florida and it's bright yellow and bright blue. And I like it because at the bottom it says, uh, re, re, uh, relax, refresh, refuel. I look at that every morning. First thing I get every morning, I think, yep, I need to relax in Jesus. I need for him to refresh, man. I need to refuel before I go out that door. And Jesus sort of like Stuckey's. You can pull over and get refueled before you take off again we need to do this. Let me show you the other one in the scripture. Turn to Ephesians chapter five. In Ephesians chapter five, I struggle with this because it's real hard to tell people how to get to God and let him fill you with his spirit. But I promise you, he's promised to do it. I don't think there's too much one, two, three steps in Christianity. Now it is a relationship. It's a relationship and you go to him and let him touch you with the spirit. But listen, don't ever hesitate to ask God to give you more his spirit tell him, I've got to have your help. I need your spirit. I got to spend time with you. I need your touch on my life. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 17, don't be unwise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine. You don't need that. Be filled with the spirit. What does God want to do with you? According to those two verses, touch you with his spirit. He wants to fill you with his spirit. Say, brother, man, I got the Holy Spirit when I was saved. So did I. Please listen to me. There's a big difference in having the Holy Spirit in you and being full of the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference in having somebody live inside of you and being filled with his power. Now, you, you, he came in the day you got saved. He'll never leave you. He's there forever. He's the guarantee of your salvation. But we need to be filled over and over and over. You need to be recharged over and over. Matter of fact, the language is so difficult in this passage here. The original language, it should read, be always being filled. Just keep going back for more. There was, it is the will of God that you come to him and let him give you something. The confidence of the Lord. And I want you to notice it's not a period after that. He goes on to say this after verse 18. There's, there's a comma speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Where? In your heart to the Lord giving thanks always. When you just worship God in your spirit and you praise Him and you love, you get along with Him and you just spend time with Him listen, in just worshiping Him and thanking Him and you, you can just I can, I can be sort of empty on, in the spirit. I can just get along with God, begin to worship him. And it's sort of like I can just feel the tank nozzle hose go in and start filling it up. That's, that's a terrible way to say it. I don't know another way to say it. You can sense in your spirit when God starts to touch you. He wants you to do this. He wants his spirit to come upon you. And he said, this is where the Bible talks about be filled with the Holy Spirit by getting with God and just enjoying him. Let him fill you with his spirit. And then you you say, well, Brother Brian, I I did that back in 1964. It's one day's portion every day. We we need to continually go to him and just constantly ask him to fill us with his spirit. And uh, as you get in a bad place during the day, Go in the bathroom and at work and lock yourself in a stall and just get along with God. Say, this is, you know what I'm going through? I need your help. I'm asking you to touch me right now and fill me with your spirit, with your grace. I want to praise you and thank you that you're so good to me. Thank you. Just, just get in there and call on the name of the Lord and let Him fill you with His Spirit right there. He'll do it. We're supposed to live our lives in the power of God, not our strength. All right, let me say this in, in Quentin do not accept timidity. There's this, things, this thing tries to get on me, and I would just look down and go, What is this right here? Where the hell did you come from? Which is the answer. And I just think, Nay, Nay, nay little lampshade, not today. God will not resist the devil for you. In James chapter 4, 6, he told you to do it. When you sense them knots in your stomach, and I don't, I don't want to make them mad, you need to say, What? Get out of here. Hit the road, Jack. Get thee behind me, Satan. It's the way Jesus said it. You need to memorize 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, get out of here. God didn't give me that spirit of fear. He gave me a spirit of confidence and boldness and compassion. Hit the road, Jack. That's, that's Southern Alamance style. You can, you can say it like Jesus said if you want to, but you've got to push back against this. Believers will accept it thinking that it's godly. It's not. There was intimidation and fear is not from heaven. He didn't give you that. Push back against that thing and live your life with the confidence and power of God. I don't quit, but we have got to, I just feel so compelled to say it again. We have got to get back to using the Holy Spirit in our lives. The church has got to get back to the Holy Spirit. It's like he said, we honor him sort of like they do to Queen of England. She don't get to make no decisions. She just sits there and looks old and pretty. We have got to go back to putting our confidence in the Holy Ghost instead of all the junk we do in our churches and in our lives. We've replaced Holy Spirit power with training and teaching and all this stuff. We need the touch of God. I'm going to give you an example of how we call on the name of the Lord and should not be settled for anything less than what Jesus promised. Now, this is a preacher, but it'll apply to your life too. You need it just as much as preachers do. Everybody should have the touch of God in their lives. I went to hear a man years ago, I'm still in my twenties and I uh, heard him give his testimony, he was a preacher. And he said, you know, I was, I was, I was my daddy left me when I was a kid and I was, I was so bothered by my daddy leaving. We were so poor, we lived in Texas. Mama, we used to live in a shack. We were on welfare, what relief you could get back then. And people gave us food. They brought food from the little Baptist church. And, and he said, I was an only child. He said, I stuttered so bad. And I've had speech therapist friends tell me that stuttering comes from traumatic experiences in life sometimes. He was so traumatized by his father's abuse as just a baby. Then his dad left, and he said, I was scared, spitless of everything, and stayed close to my mom. I went to a little Baptist church, and he said, I was about 12, 13 years old. Went to a little Baptist church, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but my life was a wreck. And he said, I'm sitting in the service one Sunday night, and he said, I heard God in my heart call me to be a preacher. He said, I know He did. And he said, I went during the invitation back in the Baptist churches. the preachers stand down front. They'd invite people to get saved. He said, I went and took the preacher's hand. I I tried to tell him that God has called me to be saved. He couldn't understand what I was saying because I stuttered so bad. And he said, the preacher just motioned my mama come up here and he said, what's he saying? She said, he's trying to tell you that God's called him to preach. He said, the preacher looked aggravated and said, go sit down. He said, so I went and sat down. And he said, but I knew God had called me. And he he related to the preacher, said, God doesn't call people like you. You can't even talk, son. And um, the truth is, that's who he does call. And um, he said, You know, I got out of high school and scraped together the money to go to East Texas Baptist College. And he said, I went, and he said, After a month, the dean called me and said, I mean, a plumber, maybe, electrician, possible. you'll never make a preacher. You need to go find something else to do. And he said, Please let me stay in. And so he stayed in and he took speech therapy. And they, you know, worked with him and and he was not a great student. And if you'd have seen him, you'd have thought, yeah, probably not going to make it. But he graduated from college and he was called to a little country church there in the black lands of Texas. And he became their pastor. And he said, I love God. I love those people. I really wanted to do the best I could. But he said, I I didn't preach that well. He never was polished, ever, ever. And he said, you know, I just did the best I could. And he said, the first year I preached, I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, because back then, Baptist churches had Sunday night services. I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I preached 156 times. Nobody got saved. Nobody joined the church. Nothing. Nobody even asked for prayer. And he said, I was so disappointed because I wanted to help people. And he said, I couldn't understand. You know, I'm willing to do this, but, and he, listen, he lived, he was a good guy. He wasn't living in sin. He was a, he was sincere. Dear ones, Sincerity is not enough. We talk about how people got such great hearts. A great heart is not enough. Sincerity is not enough. It is not by might or power. It is by my spirit, saith the Lord. And he said, I began to cry out to God and I began to see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit came on Elisha and he came on Elijah and he came on Samson. I saw where he came on Jesus. Jesus. And I saw where he came on Timothy. And I saw where Paul could put the Spirit on people by praying for them. And he said, that's gotta be the answer. This Holy Spirit's gotta be the answer. He said, I began to cry out to God for the Holy Spirit. And being Baptist, fundamental Baptist, they told me, don't don't do that. You got the Holy Spirit. He said, I knew better than that. I knew I had to have something. And he said, the word of God, the spirit of God, just, I just kept crying out. You've got to give me your spirit. I've got to have your spirit. I can't help people. I can't live like this. I'm not going to spend my life as a weak, pitiful, pathetic preacher. It doesn't help anybody. And he just kept crying out for that. And he said, God began to touch me and his spirit began to come on me. And when I heard this testimony, he'd been the pastor at a church for 27 years. And he said, I've been preaching in this church 27 years, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I've never preached a sermon somebody didn't get saved. Not one time. And the year before, Elmer Towns from Liberty University had given him the award for having the largest Sunday school in America. Now, how does a guy go from a pitiful guy that stutters, ineffective, to where he's pastoring the largest church in America and thousands are getting saved? What happened? The Spirit of God. But it wasn't because he was special. It was because he cried out to God. He said, well, I'm not a preacher. You're a child of God. You need the Spirit of God just as much to live your life, to be a parent, to work, to be a... You need the touch of God on your life. But we have got to get back to the begging God and calling out on... I shouldn't have said begging. Calling on Him for His Spirit. I can't explain why you have to do this. I just know this. You need the touch of God. And, you know, I'll have the touch of God on me for certain things, and two days later... I'm, I'm dry as the Arizona desert in July, but you know what I've learned? Go back to the spout where the glory comes out get back under it. Let him start you all over again. We have got to learn to depend on the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to be like that. I want you to be like my buddy, Elisha. You know, Elisha saw this guy named Elijah and he watched him. He saw the touch of God on his life. And he said, I want what you got. And Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing, son. He said, uh, if you'll be with me when God takes me to heaven, you can have it. But if you're not with me, know this is a picture of having to, we give up so easy in our prayer. And we say one quick prayer and it don't come to pass with quick. You have got to lay hold of the spirit of God and you've got to hang on till it comes. And so the Bible said he went to such and such and Elijah tried to get him to, he said, get away from me. And he said, I, he had him by the robe, and said, I ain't going nowhere. And Elijah walked all over this city, that city, and Elisha just right there behind him. And people, the prophets, sons of the prophet, said, don't you know God's going to take him You believe me? He said, I ain't letting him go. And Elijah told him three times, leave me alone and go away. He said, I ain't doing it. <laughs> and finally they crossed the Jordan. And you, you remember this in the Bible. The Bible said it came, Elijah. Elijah's one of the two people that went to heaven without dying. The Bible said, a lot of people think Elijah went to heaven in a chariot of fire. He did not. The Bible said a chariot of fire with fiery angels came and split the two of them and Elijah, Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. The chariot was to get that little fellow off of him so God could take him. He'd have followed him all the way to glory. <laughs> Why is that in the Bible? All right, immediately Elisha picks up Elijah's mantle, his, his cloak. He rolls it up. He slaps the Jordan and the Jordan parts and what did the prophets say? The spirit of God now rests on Elisha. What's that in there for? There's times you've got to hang on. You can't give up after one prayer. We, we have become so, pray one little prayer. You have got to wrestle like, like Elisha all through the Bible, like Jacob who grabbed hold of the angel of God and wrestled. And the angel of God said, let me go. And he said, I will not turn you loose till you give me what I want. He said, I gonna do that to God. God liked it. He said, because you hung on to me, I'm changing your name from deceiver to prince. And I'm giving you a request. As we as a people, we, have got, we can't give up on praying for our children. You can't give up on praying for God to touch your life. You got junk. You say, I've got this junk inside of me and I prayed, it didn't go away. Pray again. Yeah. Do not stop. There's nothing he loves more. A great hymn was written years ago called Knock, Knock, Knocking on Heaven's Door. Do you remember that one? <laughs> we need to live our lives banging on heaven's door. All right. I done said all I can say. You're hungry. The ball game fixing to come on. Do not live this. Listen, don't leave home without it. Don't leave home without the Holy Spirit of God. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you. I, my spirit is just doing backflips inside of me tonight over this thing about believers being intimidated and afraid and kicked about because it's not that we're not tough. We're not supposed to be tough. We need the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to pray for believers here that, Lord Jesus, we, our land is divided today between those who are arrogant and cocky and loud mouthed, and then those who are jumping through hoops to make them happy. Both of them are evil. I pray for the Holy Spirit of God to come on believers' lives. That quiet, bold confidence that, that is not afraid of anything, but it's God, it's not us. And I pray that people will never settle for that fearful, intimidated spirit of, Scared of the future, scared for the children, scared of what God knows, help us what other people think. A good name is to be chosen. We want people to love us and we want to live respectfully. But we don't want to sell you out to keep people happy. I pray for Holy Spirit boldness in people's lives. And Lord Jesus, there's no, you and we enjoy our lives from a place of confidence, not timidity. So I pray for people, light their hearts up in here tonight, that the Spirit of God would appeal to them, call on me, cry out to me, get with me and let me fill you with my spirit. I trust you for that. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for the word of God that is alive. Thank you that nothing has changed from the day your spirit came into this earth to this day he is still who you say he is and still available. I give you all the praise and glory for that. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray, amen.